0: And uh, thank you for singing it with me. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I know it's been a while, all of about three weeks since I was here in this passage. And uh, maybe you don't remember it at all. Maybe you will once we begin again. But uh, I began a study entitled Evangelistic Love. And is that ringing a bell with anybody? Yeah, okay, good. Praise the Lord. That encourages my heart. And uh, that it's ringing a bell at least with some folks. Uh, You know, every once in a while I get so busy I can't remember what I had for breakfast. And uh, you know, and it's only lunchtime, and I'm still I'm trying to think what in the world did I eat. And uh, so if somebody can remember what I preached, or even have a faint idea of it uh, a few weeks later, it really really is an encouragement. Do you know I uh, about 15 years ago preached a message in the Philippines. And um, it was in a pastor's conference, and it was one of those messages where in the moment I knew that God was in the midst. There are times where I just, I, I, I know God is there and He's at work in hearts. I'm weeping, everybody else is weeping, the truth is just flowing, God is ministering to hearts. It was one of those times where it was, uh, heaven came down and glory filled the place. And, and uh, we came to the end of the service, and I mean, folks were just flocking to the front. And uh, the Lord led me to just break out uh, in song. And we, we together sang, dr- dr- it was storming outside, we sang, Till the Storm Passes By. And uh, we all just lingered for about an hour after the service, weeping and embracing, and just kind of not wanting to have the moment be over. And uh, about about been about 15 years. And, uh, and when I was in the Philippines this last time, Uh, A 78-year-old pastor uh, from Negros came up to me and he embraced me and he started to cry. And he said, you remember that service you preached in Iloilo?" And he said, you know, I was ready just to throw in the towel. I was all done. And I just decided I was going to hang in there with the Lord until the storm passed by and you know i thought you know i wonder how many guys have forgotten that moment and god used it profoundly in his life and and uh, and you know what an encouragement it is to know that 15 years later there's something that god allowed you to be a part of that he seared on someone else's heart as he did yours and uh, it just it makes a difference and so when i'm amongst the people that i love so very much and that's you and uh, and we get to share those moments together. It's it's exhilarating. It really is. I uh, I was looking. I, I I don't have Facebook personally. The church has a Facebook page, and we don't post things incessantly. But you know, once or twice a week or something. And and uh, but I I go on there from time to time, and I just check and see what's going on with it. And there are some pastors in the Philippines that'll that'll dial in with me. And some of them are, are really prolific travelers. They're traveling to mission fields and to different places and always preaching. And one pastor that's there, I, I see that he's preached in a different place probably every week for the last three months, every every single week for three months straight. And uh, and I'm happy for him if that's what God is calling him to do. And I just thought, you know, I could never be comfortable being away that often. I mean, I'm grateful that I get to go to to the mission field and from time to time, get a minute away, but um, I, I don't know if you have been around many pastors or churches in your lifetime. But probably I'm here more than most pastors are in their churches. Um, have never one single time in 20 years taken all my allotted vacation. Never one single time. And uh, don't I, I mean I probably won't this year. Um, I'm allowed three three weeks at this point. And I I normally take one. And uh and if I miss one Sunday, people never let me forget it. You know, it's like, you know that Sunday you were absent, I brought a visitor that day, you know. It's like <laughs> and once in a row you brought one, you know, good for you. First <laughs> Thessalonians chapter three. I'll shut up and we'll get to the word of God here. Um First Thessalonians chapter three. And the Bible says here Let let me invite you to stand if you're able, the folks that are standing already, and uh, to show respect unto the reading of God's Word. And by the way, how many of you know that this is how they did it in the Bible? This is how they did it in the Bible. They, They stood as the Word of God was read. Verse number one, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain." But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. To the end... He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Lord, please bless the study of Your Word to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) Tonight I want to continue talking to you about the subject of evangelistic love. I believe it is, quite simply, the driver of what we term discipleship. Can I say that as we look at discipleship as a whole, you can't separate evangelism from discipleship. There are a lot of people that compartmentalize it. They say, well, there's evangelism and then there's discipleship. And they think discipleship is nurturing someone in the biblical faith. Could could we say it that way? It's helping them to come up to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. But you know what? That's never going to happen until first they're born again. Until first their spirit is alive. And so uh, the Great Commission is going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then, and then do what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so, that is really the process of discipleship. And discipleship is not finished when we think they know the basics of the Word of God. Discipleship continues on. Then that person involves themselves in evangelism discipleship. And what in the world is it that is the driver of all of that? Well, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians that The love of Christ constraineth me. It is God's, not His great love for the Lord, but God's great love for Him that moved Him. So what is it that moves you to go soul winning? say, well, I don't go. Well, what is that a revealer of? So the love of God is in a sufficient constraint in your life? What is it that would constrain you to do it? Is that a fair question? I think that, that we need to look at that. But I'm going to tell you that one of the great downfalls of the modern day is that we are seeing in a, in a form the gospel given in many places. But I've found that especially because of the advent of the megachurch, that the average Christian we meet has an experience with God that is a mile long and an inch deep. If they were confronted by a Jehovah's Witness at their door peddling the watchtowers, or if they were confronted by Mormon missionaries with the Pearl of Great Price in hand and wanting them to have Bible studies, they just don't know enough to be able to give an adequate defense of their faith. If someone says, well, how do you know that Jesus is God? We, we don't know. And, and all our, our entire eternity is hinged upon that one question. And the reality is that it has been a, a failure in discipleship. There are many that will be in heaven that just never really grew all that much in the Lord. And by the way, I'm going to tell you, there will be, there'll be many that think they're going to be in heaven and that perhaps we think will be in heaven that won't. And I'll tell you this as well, there'll be many that we don't think are going to make it that probably will. I think when we get there, we're going to be shocked. Um, not, not by who's there, but by who's there that we thought might never be. God is merciful. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance. But I'm going to tell you that what we find on the pages of this epistle written at the hand of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God Himself reveal a heart of a man that was deeply in love with God and with His Word and with the people of God. There are a lot of things that we know about the Apostle Paul. He was not very much to look at. He was beaten so many times, I'm sure that he was disfigured. I have no doubt that he had a hunchback from having been in stocks and in chains and in cold prison cells for years. I have no, I, I have no doubt that uh, that he had a problem with his eyes that made it look as though he were uh, some sort of creature from the blue lagoon or the green slimy monster or something. And 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 really, early church history records that he was so gr- gruesome at times to look at that. Children would hide behind their mother's uh, gowns in the marketplace because they were afraid of this man. He was a short man who was bald-headed, with red runny eyes, knots on his head, and a hump on his back. And so he didn't do great exploits for God because, you know, he had a an aesthetician and a and someone to quaff his hair perfectly and and you know, to work on his teeth, you know, and to put his makeup on before he went on the set. He quite simply walked with God and he had the power of God upon his life. And I'm going to tell you one of the things that overcame all of those attributes that were off-putting to just the carnal man was the great love that he had in his heart for people. Now he didn't mince words with them because he knew that he may not get another chance to tell them the truth, and so when he had that opportunity, he availed himself of it. And when there were those that he loved that were getting out of order, and they were fighting and bickering or departing the faith, he did not mince words in telling them what it was that they needed to do. And there were some that didn't appreciate that about him, but... You can know for a certainty by reading this epistle, if it was the only one that you read as a commentary on the ministry of the Apostle Paul, you would come to the conclusion that this was a loving man. Now in that day, you know what they actually did? They actually sat down for hours at a time and visited one with another. They talked. They didn't have television, they didn't have radio, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have print media, they didn't have the newspaper. So you know what people did? They actually talked. Um, I'll tell you this, I I feel like that we're in a day where we're raising a a generation of people that are um, dysfunctional in the area of communication. People can't Hardly read and write any longer, unless they have a spell checker. And uh, you, you know, it, it's amazing to me. Sometimes I'll get I'll get letters from professional people, you know, you know, from offices that you know are large companies, and and the, the just the absolute mess of of business letters, no no understanding of form and style for that. And and Sharon, you would you'd have your red pen out a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's a—I have no, no doubt about that. But, but you know what? They talked. I think it's one of the things we don't do. You know why? Because we're so busy. We're so pulled away by everything in this world that the people that need us can't get us. And you know why they can't? because we love everything else in the world more than we love the things of the Lord. The things of the Lord are not the furnishings in a church. It's not the walls and the roof. We, we just put a new roof on the building, $66,000, and, and we, we, we're talking about getting some new carpeting in here in the coming year and putting some paint on the walls. That affects how we do the work of the Lord, but that's not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is not paperwork. It is people work. It's interacting with people. And in order to stay doing that, you know what? You've got to have an abiding love for God first and for what He has called you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you love me, you don't tell everybody how, you know, what a spiritual person that you are. We really, every time we see Paul talking about himself, he was apologizing for it and giving all kinds of disclaimers and saying that I'm not going to glory in myself. He wanted all the glory and honor of the credit to go to the Lord. But the truth is, my friends, that he had an abiding love for God and a love for his work because if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. And discipleship is commanded of the Lord. And it begins with evangelism. An evangelistic love that, that has a desire to see people saved, brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I, I have not discipled someone completely until that person I'm discipling is then involved in winning other people to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. If they're winning people to Jesus Christ on a regular basis, I don't have to continuously call them and ask them if they're going to be in church. They're there. The same people that will be here on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock are the people that will be here on Wednesday night and Sunday night that I don't have to beg to come to church. That If they never got a text or an email, they'd still be there. they never got a phone call or a letter in the mail, they'd still be there. Why? Because they love God and they just want to do what God said. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, I think that their purpose was Christ. And uh, they understood all that had befallen Paul in Philippi. And as he was there in Thessalonica for just uh, less than a month's period of time, God allowed him to be able to establish a local church there. And then because of persecution that was coming upon the new converts and upon Paul and his missionary team, it was needful for them to, to move on to Berea. Berea would have been a place that Timothy was comfortable. It probably was there that he first came under the influence of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and we, we know that, uh, uh, that he was very aware of the sufferings of Paul because uh, Paul was stoned in Lystra. And, uh, and then he went to Derbe. Derbe. And, and there, uh, Timothy and his mother were a part of the fellowship there. Timothy and his mother were saved under the influence of the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Now Timothy was there and and uh, Paul said, we, we thought it was needful for me to be left at Athens alone. So Timothy and Silvanus, which is Silas, uh, they went along... Um, toward Thessalonica to carry the epistle of Paul. Luke departed from him as well. He was left alone. And uh, he went to Athens. And it had to have been a disheartening time. I believe that it was while he was there in Athens that, that he gave the great sermon on Mars Hill, the sermon of the unknown God, and, uh, and declared Christ unto the intelligentsia of the day that that wanted to dispute with Him and thought of themselves to be smarter than than anyone. And He confounded them with the words that He spoke. And there's nothing more confounding than the truth when you're wrapped up in an error. And the fact is that what we discover is that He loved these people so much and I, I want to just point out a couple verses to, to prove it to you. And then I want to, I want to just give you some thoughts and, and we'll not be too long here. But in chapter 1 and verse 7, here's how Paul worked among them. He said, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Okay, here's Lori. And uh, she, she's got her babies here with her. You know what? She's got her arms around them. She's cuddling them. They're sleepy. I think she didn't want to impose that on King's kids tonight. <laughs> because they might be crabby if they had to interact with kids. Couldn't wake her up. But look at her. She's, she's nurturing that child. Paul said, when I ministered to you, I was tender with you. I didn't come in guns a-blazing, trying to square this thing away, knowing that I was only going to be among you for three weeks. No. No. He said, I was gentle among you as a nurse, as a mama, cherisheth her children. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you. You think of that term, affectionately desirous. So because I, I had this overwhelming love in my heart that I wanted to demonstrate to you, He said, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the Gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. He loved them, He loved them deeply, he loved them dearly, Verse seventeen of chapter one, but we are chapter two rather, but we brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. So, they were in his heart to live and die for, just as he, he told other churches. And, and he said uh, in uh, verse number 8 of chapter 3, For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. If we know you're doing well, we have the strength and the joy to continue on. Because we love you. And we want to know that you're doing well in the Lord. Now, I'm just going to tell you this, folks. I understand the love of a parent. I understand the love of a grandparent. It's something that is really... um, It's transcendent love. But can I tell you, those are all of the terminologies that the Apostle Paul used towards new converts. And that when you're full of God and you're full of His truth and you have a baby Christian, what you do to help your grandkids, you do to help that baby Christian. Just let that settle in for a minute. And I'm not sure I've ever met the person that, that loves like that. I'm not sure if I have. Now, I'll tell you that I know that God doesn't want me to sacrifice my kids to try to rescue somebody else's and that I can't be the kind of pastor that he calls me to be if I'm not the kind of father that he calls me to be. And and I and, I, and that's a given. That's right there in 1 Timothy, you know, and and in Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And and I know that but I also know that this kind of transcendent love is the kind of love that God calls us to. To love people to that extent. To be available to them when they have a need. Now, that doesn't mean that people can just wear the preacher out because they have a need and, and uh, y- you know that he needs to order his whole life around the crisis that you're now experiencing. I've seen a lot of preachers do that and die an early death because they never knew how to experience a Sabbath in their own life, how to not answer the phone or return a text message. And scared to death that if they didn't return a text message within the first two hours that people were just going to think the worst about them. And that happens. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, people nowadays have an expectation that your favorite preacher when you were growing up never had on him. You know why? He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a pager. He didn't have a fax machine. You know what he had? He had a tape recorder. And uh, when you called him, he said, we're out of the office. Leave a message at the beep. And uh, you know, you knew that the next morning he maybe would listen to it along with the other messages and get back with you. And now... If somebody waits till the next morning to get us, we're just convinced that they don't care for us. How many of you know what I'm talking about That's a world in which we have grown accustomed and that's a world that like pastor Eckleberry didn't have to have to pastor in i'm not, I'm not saying that as to castini Aspergian was a fantastic pastor but but all I'm saying is he didn't have to worry about. Oh, they've texted me. I've got I've only the clock is ticking now. Or they're they're gonna you know, and then you you try to get back to them, you don't connect, and they're not in church the next service, and you're just sure that they're mad at you. And I am positive that in twenty years I have hundreds of times missed connecting with people and they've laid out a church upset about it. And I let that bother me way more than I should. But the reason why it bothers me is because I care. I know a lot of guys that just let it roll off their backs like rain off a a duck's back. You you know, it doesn't bother them at all. But it it bothers me, you know why? Because I love you. You're in my heart to live and die for. And you know, just as He said, we're affectionately desirous of you. We, We imparted unto you our own souls. You know, there are a lot of people that I've invited into my home um, over over Christmas season. I, I'm sure we had a hundred different people come through the house at some point in time between the various events that we had—the class parties and the youth group, and 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 family and friends and people just coming through for for this and that. And and uh, but one of the things that happens is when people come in and spend a measure of time with you in your home. You know what? It 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 kind of changes sometimes their perspectives. Because Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and among his own kin. When people get close to somebody, they realize that they're just human. And sometimes people that come to church don't want their pastor to be that. And Paul showed himself to be a man of God. And he loved them in a way that made Him vulnerable to them. And I can't tell you how many times through the years I have talked to people that have have visited Freeway Baptist Church and maybe they've been a part of a church somewhere and they were faithful in serving the Lord, and they came in and they said, you know, we're just going to sit, we've been hurt in another church, and uh, we just don't have it in our hearts to, to engage the work because we, we just couldn't handle it if we got hurt somewhere else, so we're we're not going to be involved. And a lot of times people come in that way, they're wounded. In fact, we've had some people come in like that, and and God has allowed us to help nurse them back to spiritual usefulness and to re-engage the work of the Lord. Some of them even went into vocational ministry, whose names I'll not call because I don't want to embarrass them, but the fact of the matter is this, that that look, there are people that have been hurt and they say, listen, I'm not going to make myself, I'm not going to expose my heart to people. I'm not going to make myself available to be people because people will hurt me. And they start getting in disposition towards Christians in, in the business world and they start saying things like, I'll be the last time I ever do business with a Christian because you know what, they'll, they'll try to get over on you. You know, I'll never forget. I moved to town. I saw a plumbing truck go down the road, and it was Christian Brothers. I had somebody in the car. They said, "I'll never use them again." They call themselves Christians, but boy, they're the furthest thing from it. You know, and and uh, you know, sometimes people get a disposition towards believers, and we hold them to an expectation that we are not willing to be held to ourselves. You want me to be faithful in everything. But you want to reserve the right to say, well, I'm not the pastor. I don't have to. Well, I'm not doing this because I get get a check from the church. You understand that? I did it before I started getting a check from the church. And th- the fact is that this is what God has called me to. So I'm not a hireling. I'm a called of God shepherd. And there's a difference. But my point is just simply this, that evangelistic love will be driven by uh-oh, it is the driver of discipleship and it will be characterized by a sacrifice that comes out of a heart of love. Because there is really no true divine love demonstrated in our lives without sacrifice. God so loved the world that He gave. What did He do? <coughs> he sacrificed Himself to demonstrate His love. And divine love never comes without sacrifice. (coughs) It's kind of like Jonathan, Saul's son, who was the heir to the throne. And when he knew that David was anointed to be king, instead of him, (coughs) he loved David. And he loved him so much that he was willing to lay aside the throne and what people thought was his birthright so another could be preferred ahead of him. What did he do? He sacrificed to demonstrate his love. And you know, Paul made a sacrifice here. He said when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And we were suffering persecution as you were. And we did it. For you, And in verse 3 he says, that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. Know that we are appointed thereunto. And he used the word we, that plural pronoun, to help them understand that it wasn't something that he was calling upon them to do and that he was not experiencing himself. I never, as a leader, want to ask the people of God to do one single thing that I'm not doing. I'm not going to ask you to give to... Lighthouse offering and not give. I'm not going to ask you to help needy people and not help needy people. I'm not going to ask you to demonstrate love to others or to go soul winning or to be faithful and then not do it myself. Not going to ask you to, to enter into the presence of the Lord and then, and then me not do it. Because my friends, quite honestly, I can never lead someone to a place that I have never been. And Paul was willing to make the sacrifices and he helped them understand that we are in this together. And though our lives are characterized by tribulation and trouble and problems, and to the extent that this church believed that the day of the Lord had overtaken them, he reminded them that he taught them while he was among them that the Lord had appointed them unto this. It reminds me of what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls unto Him as unto a faithful Creator. And what it reveals to us is that sometimes the suffering that we face is appointed by God, not for our destruction, but for our development. To help us become the people that God is leading us to be. And God in His infinite wisdom knows exactly what is required for us to reach that goal. And although it's often not something that we would choose for ourselves, it is nevertheless what God has appointed for us. And and here He said, look, we are appointed thereunto to those sufferings. And Paul was not just saying that's what you're going to have to go through. He said that's what I'm going through. I'm alone now. And Paul was a people person. You cannot evangelize the whole Gentile world without being a people person. Did you ever think of that? Sometimes we we get this image in our mind, and we get so you know down deep in the weeds you know about our study that we we get this idea that somehow Paul's this crusty old crotchety man you know with these. Parchment, sitting in the dark and barking at people and preaching the gospel at them and trying to cram his religion down their throat. And And folks, how in the world did he affect millions of people, the gospel of Jesus Christ? How did he stand before kings and with eloquence deliver the truth of the message? Because he was a magnanimous man and that magnanimous aspect was the Holy Spirit of God in him overcoming all the physical liabilities and limitations that perhaps he and others felt like he had. And let me tell you, you sometimes read the book of Galatians because those people loved him so much. Paul said, there was a time because you loved me, if it were possible physically to do so, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me because you loved me that much. And he said, Am I now therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I think about what Paul told the people in Corinth that he ministered among for so long and, and loved so deeply. He said in, uh, I think it's First uh, Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He was willing to make the sacrifice, so his evangelistic love was characterized by sacrifice, and ours will be too. But understand this: it'll be characterized by an urgency, by an urgency. It's not going to be just oh well, whatever. Um, let me use this illustration, and 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 we'll be done on this point um, before church. Becky came in with Luke, and. Uh, we had so much fun with him uh, over uh, Monday. We, we went up to Flagstaff and played in the snow. And uh, he wasn't quite sure he knew what to think about all the coldness. The only thing he really enjoyed probably about that was being snuggled up and then he got to eat some snow and it put it on his, where he's cutting teeth. But, uh, but anyway, you know when a baby is born... Mama's in labor and the baby's coming. Do they just kind of take their time? The doctors and nurses? Well, they they may let the process play, but you know when you come in there, they put you right in a wheelchair. They take you right in labor and delivery. They put a blood pressure cuff on you. They put a heart monitor. They 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 put a, 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 a pulse oximeter on you they they get a read on the baby they put the, ba- the the fetal heart monitor on on the mamas right now right now and when things are moving they're moving right there may be times where things slow down. They later decide we're going to give them some Pitocin to help move the process along. And, and uh, uh, folks, I'm, I'm not an OBGYN, but I did stay in a Holiday and Express last night. So if anybody goes into labor, just let me know. But uh, anyway, uh, but, but what I'm saying is when the baby's coming, okay, mama's fully effaced, the baby is coming out, and she's pushing. Is it time to take a break? Is the nurse saying, wait, hold on, don't push yet. I've got to go to the bathroom. Is that what they do? No. Is the nurse saying, wait, hold on a minute. I, I need to finish my latte. No. No, it's not. They're, they're, they're all about it right now. There's a sense of urgency. And when the baby comes out and, and they, they take that child, immediately they start working on that child. They start wiping away the amniotic fluid and they start cleansing the baby and making sure, suctioning the the nostrils and and, uh, the airways, making sure that baby uh, can... Can breathe and and they want to hear it cry because the more that baby cries, the more developed the lungs will become, and the more it will it 'll get rid of any of that fluid and and all the nasty stuff that is down inside uh, those those bronchial passages, and it helps all that to be expelled in and, and uh, they 're working on it right now they 're putting uh, putting monitors putting them in the in the in the French fry warmer, and making sure that they're ready, uh, you know, to meet the world and everything, and they wrap them up in a little swaddling blanket, and and uh, and and they're working on mom right now. But you know what? I'm going to tell you what we do as as a church. Sometimes we're all excited because a baby's coming to the world, and and then we're excited about it. We fill out the birth certificate, and you know what? There, the baby lays on the delivery room floor wallowing around. You say that's a, that's a crude illustration. The fact of the matter is, sometimes we're so excited that they've been born that we really care very little about them growing up. I was talking to Dr. Gibbs recently about the subject of abortion. Barbie, you'll be interested to hear this. And he said he one time had a, had a liberal ministers say to him who supported abortion, you evangelicals, you don't want babies to, to be taken out of the mother's womb. You're all about them being born. And that's where your concern ends. You just want life to come in the world, but you don't want to have to take the responsibility to nurture it care for single unwed parents and, and deal with the type of people that we are willing to deal with. And he said, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't me he was talking about. I can't answer for anybody else. But the point I'm just trying to make is we can't be so excited about the fact that a baby has been born that we leave them wallowing around on the delivery room floor and we don't have a love to pick them up and to help them breathe and help them ingest the truth and help them get established if these little girls over here pass their fifth or sixth birthday and they're still 20 pounds in Pampers and drinking milk only a pediatrician's going to be calling child protective services I want to make sure everything's okay I want to refer you to to specialists because these children need to be growing when you have those first appointments the pediatrician's telling you what percentile your child is in in terms of their development their weight size of their their limbs to make sure they're growing because if a child doesn't grow there's something wrong and the bible says in First Peter chapter 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. But you know what? A newborn babe doesn't know where to find the milk. It has to be prepared for them. That's where our job comes in. And it has to be brought to them with love. Not just when we think, but when they cry. And there was a sense of urgency. Paul said in verse 1, when we could no longer forbear, that means when I could not wait a minute longer. In verse uh, number 5, when I could no longer forbear, i sent to know your faith. He said, I couldn't wait a minute longer. I could not delay this ministry to you. I had to know. And I think that sometimes we are so casual about things that we should have an urgency about before we know it, we have people that are not any longer tender to the things of the Lord because there's been zero divine love manifested them from the people that were so excited that they were born. And they found others that were willing to feed them other things that maybe were not as good, but at least it was better than nothing. And I believe that we need to to see that evangelistic love will be characterized by an urgency that says there's a need in this person's life and I'm going to be available when they need it. Not when I get around to it. Sometimes what that means is, look, I'm going to have to rearrange my schedule a little bit. Sometimes it may mean, listen, I'm, I'm dealing with something right now, an urgent situation. Let me call you right back. You know, people understand that. Don't they? Sure they do. Um, if, if you if you felt a little ill, how many of you would go to your primary care doctor and just expect to be seen on the spot? You want to, but is that how it works? No. You know what you got to do? Make an appointment. And they'll say, I can see you four weeks from Thursday at 2 p.m. How does that work for you? Am I right? Yeah. That's how it goes. Brother John knows that. Right? So, I mean, people understand, but... But we can't get to that point. You don't do that with, with babies. They need someone to love them and help them now. Now, I, I'm saying all this because I want us to have an evangelistic love in our hearts where that we care about not just seeing people born, but seeing them grow. And I'll tell you, if we could begin to see it, it would be an anomaly in the Christian realm. There are a lot of people that know all the words to the latest praise and worship song on K-Love, but they can't quote Galatians 2.20. They don't know John 3.15 or John 3.17. And they need to. We know we know 16, everybody knows that one. Even the guy with the afro at the NFL game holding up the sign knows that one. Do you, you know what I'm saying? The fact is, look, at some point in time, we've got to have that in our hearts. And, and I'm not going to flog a dead horse. I, we're going to talk about this some more because we're going to see what an evangelistic love will look like in our lives. And uh, there's a way that we can lead a normal life and still make a profound difference in the lives of others. And so, um, I want to help you with that. Amen? And I want us all to have the heartbeat of God when it comes to His kids. Because He cares about His kids. Now, Phoebe and Tim started back to school from the Christmas break, and we got an email from the guidance counselor or the academic counselor saying some of the schedules are being changed up and some of the teachers have changed this and that, so make sure that you check with with the counselor's office if your schedule changes and so forth. And you know, um, Phoebe said really, took me out of this class this hour put me in this one and I I don't know why and this and that and the other thing. You know what my first reaction was? Do I need to go down to the office and find out? You know why? I am not going to stand by and watch my kids not be taken care of. And that's how you'd be for yours, right? So listen, let's, let's decide we're just not going to sit by and let the world have its will with, our, with God's kids. He wants people to, His people to take care of them, right? Yeah, He does. And so let's think about that and we'll come back to this next week. Let's pray together. Father God, thank You again for this time that we've had to share from Your Word. I pray that the truth that has been shared would settle in our hearts. May we think about it when we wake in the morning. And Lord, may it become a living, breathing principle in all of us, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, Amen.